Welcome to Kafaru Cast, everyone. It is Monday morning. We are back in business. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing. And I've got uh, two longtime friends. One's more of a closet friend. One's a real friend. Uh, Scott Reekers from uh, Eastman's and uh, and Guy. Uh, I appreciate you guys coming on today. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, thanks for having us, Aaron. No, no problem. Can you guys, Scott? You're the closet friend. Guy, you're an actual yeah, friend. Let's who's who. I- <laughs> <laughs> that's on uh, my end yeah. it may be different i may be your closet friend for both of you which i totally get i think i told me i was in the closet but i don't think he meant friendship on that one i'm not sure well, i'm <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm still trying to figure out if i even want to ask what the definition of a closet friend to you is i just don't tell people about you unless like you're right beside me then i'm forced to and then i'm like yeah scott scott is my friend Anyhow, enough about people coming out of the closet. Uh, man, I, I, I've been kind of, I haven't been able to talk a whole lot about this because I wasn't sure if I had the, the green light on the new uh, kind of digital platform that you guys are offering. And I was able to get a hold of uh, Scott this morning. And so we could get uh, you and Guy on and kind of go over this. I, I'm not going to dive into it too much, Scott. This has been your baby. Um I've told just about everybody possible I could tell about it. Can you, you guys want to kind of give a brief uh, description of, of what kicked this off and, and what it is and why you did it? So Eastman's Tag Hub and, you know, Guy will be able to get into some of the details of kind of his vision and long term. But this is essentially all of our members research section data. So all the data that many people have trusted for years to apply out West, build their plans for hunting out West. It is all of that data plus about 500,000 more points because we're limited in print space with digital. You're not. And so we've been able to turn all the information that for years we have wanted to be able to do. We've been able to turn that into a digital platform. And I'll kind of let Guy chime in on Wyoming because Wyoming's been our gold standard in the MRS for a long time. But I'll have him kind of chime in and tell what he's been able to add and how many more units and and some of the details of what's now available inside Eastman's Tag Hub, specifically for Wyoming. And I can get into Nevada. That that deadline's coming up next week. And then so we can, you know, go into some details that'll be relevant to people. Yeah, basically, you know, we can only fit so much into magazines uh, because it's a physical format. And so there's a lot of uh, information that we gather, tabulate, and work through that doesn't make it in the magazine just purely for space reasons. Um, And so this digital version, like Scott said, allows us to take all that information and take it to a digital format where guys can really dig a lot deeper and down into some of these areas. You know, Wyoming has over 200 elk hunts total, but we only have room for probably 40 or 50 of those in the magazine. And so we're able to get all 200 of them in there, plus, uh, you know, which includes all the general hunts, which we don't really cover as much in the magazine because the magazine for space reasons is more more uh, geared toward the limited quota and the, you know, the draw areas. So we're able to put a lot of the general and over-the-counter areas. So it's, it's 100% uh, front to back, all inclusive of all the hunts. Now we don't do the the antlerless hunts, but all the buck and bull uh, hunts uh, for all the states are in there. All the information. So I think it's going to be a lot of a lot of information, a lot better for guys who want to really dig a lot deeper and and get into it uh, at a deeper level than what the magazine offers uh, offers for people. And and just so people uh, can understand, because I've been screwing around with this thing. You can hop on, click on Colorado. You can go over um, each. So you can go over moose, uh, sheep, goat, mule deer, elk, everything, antelope. You you click on that. You click on uh, the animal. Click on what weapon, what season, uh, buck, or either sex. Uh, and then you can also click on uh, like trophy quality, and there's several other options. Once you click on that, it'll show you each unit, and then it'll show you uh, the different potential or I guess what, what that unit has to offer. Now, as far as that goes, there's a few units I'm sure like local guys are going to look at and be like, oh, you have that listed as decent or good, but it's an excellent unit. Well, that may be off of that particular person's 
um, you know, backpacked in seven miles and he found a honey hole. This is overall for the for the unit, harvest statistics, things like that. How how much like info is this based off of just harvest statistics for each unit? How much is based off biologists, uh, info, things like that? Our idea for this and, and our concept that we've we've actually perfected the magazine and brought it to here onto the tag hub format is we really take an area, say, uh, Aaron, and we, we'll take all the pieces of that area and say, okay, what matters the most to put a grade on this area? And it changes from uh, species to species. So say elk, elk is really indicative of, we feel, hunter success. So the when you look at elk areas, the better areas have higher success rates um, in general. Antelope, for instance, is not that way. I mean, most antelope areas have high success rates no matter what. And so with antelope, we look, we, gra- we grade them more on public land, how much public land is available, and that kind of thing. And so each species has a, a, a mathematical equation that is different from one to the other on what we feel is is more important uh, and a more important criteria of say five or six different criteria. So trophy quality would be in that equation. Uh, season dates might be in that equation. Um, hunter success might be in that equation. Cause you, you know, especially with mule deer, some of the areas will have really high success rates for mule deer, but the trophy quality isn't there. For instance, Eastern Montana, very high success, but your chances of killing a 190 buck in Eastern Montana is not really very high. Whereas you go to Colorado and there's a lot of areas that can produce that kind of buck. Right. And and that was the other, I was talking with Scott about that perusing, obviously my home state, you know, every, not every, well, pretty close to every unit uh, west of I-25 probably has a 190 buck in it or a 200 inch buck if you look hard enough. And just because you may know where a couple of those are, that doesn't necessarily make that unit a an excellent choice. That may be excellent for you, but and and I'm glad you said what you did, guy, because if if the unit's covered in private land, well, it's only excellent for people that have permission on it. If it's you know covered in in you know let's say mountain goat, if it has just a mass uh, number of goats, but it doesn't have very many big you know billies, and you guys kind of judged it off of what I would say any normal everyday guy heading into would be judging it off of, and which is the ability to get in there and actually take an animal down a, a good animal. And, and it sounds like that's what you guys did. Yeah. For the most part, Aaron, we wanted to make this, uh, you know, it's, it's, mo- it's driven by data. It's map based driven by data. There are, I will say this, there are a lot of nuggets out there for guys who are hardcore hunters that slipped through the cracks in here. For instance, like general hunts in Wyoming. Wyoming general elk tag is a pretty good tag if you know where to go and how to do it. Now, if someone who's from back east that's coming out for the first time elk hunting, is that the hunt for them? No, probably not. For Aaron Snyder, is that a good hunt? Yeah, you could, you know, you're hardcore enough guy, you get back there, spend a week back there backpacking, you can get into some really good bulls for a tag that only takes one or two points to draw. But we have left a lot of that up to, to the individual. We have, what I should say, we've had to take out the individual's abilities to hunt as much as possible on this because it's data driven. Okay. I mean, one hunter is not like the next hunter. I mean, you got the hardcore guys who hunt a lot and know what they're doing. And you got the guys who are just kind of getting into it or, or don't hunt elk every single year. That's a, those are two totally different hunters and they're still, you know, a lot to be, to be uh, had out there for areas that are you know, not super high profile, but if you're a hardcore guy, you can have a good hunt. Right. And that, and that makes total sense. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because no matter what, if anybody writes anything, any mag, I mean, I give you guys crap for screwing up units in Colorado, right? You can never make everyone happy. The, the thing is, if you take a big step back, most guys have, what would you say, seven to, uh, you know, a week off, five uh, weekdays and then the two weekends and one drive times killed. So seven days to hunt. And, it, you know, they're driving from an area that they don't, they're driving from back east, the Midwest heading into Idaho, Colorado, uh, Wyoming, wherever they're going, 
there's a lot involved in that physical ability is is one of the big ones. You can't judge everything off of what a backpack hunter would do because not everybody backpack hunts. You can't judge everything off of what a guy hunting off the road would do because not everybody does that. So it makes your jobs pretty difficult. And that's what we've really shot for here is we've tried to develop a system that's intuitive enough that a guy who's trying to plan their first time hunt out west or building a strategy to hunt, you know, say, since we're sticking with elk right now for a few minutes, you know, who's trying to hunt elk regularly, well, develop a plan where you can hunt hunt a unit several times and then develop your once-in-a-lifetime strategy so you get good at elk hunting. You know, we, we developed it for that. You should be able to build a long-term plan around this so you can hunt often and have enjoyable hunts, but also know exactly what you're getting into. I mean, we we intentionally built this where there's all kinds of layers. So, like, if you're hunting say you're hunting Wyoming or any other state that has over-the-counter tags, we built a, um, it's a heat map that shows which, which units have the highest success. And you can look at that success ratio, but also know that just about every unit in Wyoming, we're going to call it marginal because you're going to have a lot of competition. Well, you know where guys are being successful, so you can narrow it down. Um, but you can also figure out based on, on the success how many people are hunting there as well. So there's all kinds of powerful tools, like what Guy was saying, the nuggets, to be able to really dig down, look, and then you can also see the three-year average success, you know, and you can filter every one of the, there's a table at the bottom where you can filter this down to exactly what you're looking for to find those nuggets that matter to you, because everybody's different. Aaron, you and I have had this conversation several times, like, you know, if you see a decent six point bull, you're probably going to shoot it. You're not going to hold out for something else. Most of the time it's kind of not here. No, not in Colorado, (laughs) but you come to Wyoming and burn your 10 points. You're going to hold up for something a bit bigger, you know? And so you can, you can actually use this to, you know, based on, you know, based on the numbers of what's been reported on what a real expectation is, you know, should I expect a 300 inch bull here or, you know, is this place just going to be the Raghorn Express all over again? Yeah, oh, yeah. And, I, you know, judging it off of, you know, elk or, or mule deer, and I don't dive into antelope too, too much, but when you look at a, uh, well, let's, we'll bounce this off of, of social media. And I actually, Guy, I think you or your dad once at a show said to me, you know, what the hell is wrong with shooting a spike for your first elk anymore? Jesus Christ. Like, you know, everybody wants this 350 bull. And at least with what you guys are doing is making it feasible for someone a long ways away to look at this, make a decent, you know, decision off of the info you've given for them to head out and, and, and have a good time and see some animals because the, you know, trophy quality is a lot different than general population or general numbers. And there's a lot of times guys come out and they expect this primos type of experience, which you're going to need. I don't know what you guys would say to get the primos elk coming in. Well, you're going to need a lot of money is what you're going to need. But you can get that on on tags, but that's going to take four to six to eight plus points to to get there usually. And, and, and you guys do a pretty good job. I mean, from everything I've looked through with the tag hub. To, to get somebody at least where they've got a good chance of taking an animal down. How much, this is off tag hub a little bit, how much are you guys dealing with that culture changing from, let's say, 10, 15, 20 years ago of where the the horns rule the world, so to speak, where everybody's embarrassed to shoot a five point anymore? Has that changed for the good, bad, and different? What do you guys think? Oh, I think it's definitely gone yeah, and not <laughs> hunting has changed, and I don't think necessarily in a good way. You know, I think social media has put it on steroids. It was kind of like that before, mostly by, you know, people reading magazines like ours and others. But the social media has just injected that stuff with, with steroids. And, you know, to where guys, you know, I see it all the time. Guys will look down their nose at someone who shot a 180 buck because it wasn't 200. But, you know, I mean, is that the world we really want to live in? I mean, this magazine was built for the guy who had killed a really a buck or a bull of a lifetime and wanted to tell his story and share his adventure. You know, and now you get the illusion that that's the norm for for what we're doing out there. And that's not 
necessarily, you know, the truth. I, I don't think, I think there's a lot of guys out there still hunting just, just like to hunt, but I think that this horn stuff has gotten kind of out of control and taken a lot of the, the enjoyment and the, and the, uh, adventure out of it and just placed 100% of, of all of that on the, the measure of the, the end result, you know, and I don't, I don't think that's a good thing going forward. It is always good. And if you're a very experienced hunter, you know, you, your challenge is shooting the oldest, most mature animal. I get it. But most guys, I give them the, my feedback is when you get out here, you shoot the first thing you see on your first hunt that makes you happy, which should be just about anything with fur on it. Cause it's, I mean, both of you guys, what would you say the percentage of someone coming from the Midwest or back East to Colorado or Wyoming and shooting a 300 inch bull are with a bow? <laughs> oh, very low. <laughs> I mean, especially if they don't do it a lot, you're talking the first few times. It's, I mean, you can't believe the amount of guys I talked to have hunted, especially with a bow out here out West for elk half a dozen times and have yet to get, have a close call with one. <laughs> well, that's you know, they see them, they hear them, but not, you know, not even have a close call. I mean, it's not an easy task. The problem is television and magazines and YouTube and whatnot make it look like it should be easy. And it is not. The problem is the failures aren't really exciting to look at. And so people kind of omit those and you don't, <laughs> you don't see all the, the failures that go along with, with that success. So Scott, we, we guide to handled elk, uh, Scott, what would you say the chances of going to, I'm saying Colorado cause I'm here and shooting a 180 inch mule deer with a bow, <laughs> not an internet 180. I'm talking a real 180. If you can do that on your first trip to Colorado, I would say you are a five percenter. Let's just be brutally honest with that. And don't get me wrong. Some guys get really good at killing mule deer with a bow. Brian Barney's Brian Barney is fantastic at that. I've gotten to know Brian really well. He is the exception to the rule and kills a lot of them. But I've also know I also know how many days he hunts to do. Brian's that. not even in the equation. He lives here. I'm talking about the average Joe coming from Wisconsin. Not Brian Barney. That that doesn't count. Brian <laughs> Brian's the the guy that's actually going to get it done. I'm talking about the dude that is coming from Wisconsin. I'd say it's the one percenter. Yeah, I, I'd put it. It's it's next to nil to be able to do it on your first time. It's hard to see one your first time, let alone kill it. And and that's the and that's the beauty of being able to work with something like this. You can build a strategy to actually do it once, and then eventually learn how to do it. You know, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody wants to kill a giant. You know, there's that want there. It's the dream. You know, everybody wants to to have that happen for them. And I think that's why we chase it. And that's why you build a strategy over many years to do it. It's why a guy comes from Wisconsin as often as he can to do it. Cause it's hard. It's a challenge. It physically challenges you, but the action and, and maybe the, the low percentages is what makes it so sweet when you finally do it. Well, you know, I get a lot of, um, as I'm sure you guys do as well. And I, I always parallel this to personal training in the gym. I don't want your honey hole. I'm not looking for a 360 bull. I just want something over 300. And I'm like, oh, that's it? That's like the guy that walks into the gym like, look, I don't want to look like Arnold. Well, don't worry. You're not going to, and you're not going to shoot a 360 bull either. Like, they don't they don't grow on trees. What you guys are offering is a good chance for a good hunt and being able to take actual data to, to make your decision on, on where to go. And, and I'm only saying that because, as Guy had said earlier, we have people that come into the shop after their hunt, uh, you know, here at the office, and they were like, I didn't even see an elk, or we jumped some one day. You know, it's a, it's it, unless you get into those higher draw units, which you guys cover those as well, but unless you get into those higher draw units, OTC or a one-point unit, you know, you've got work cut out for you. It's not, you're not going to have a good time or you don't have a chance to shoot an elk. It, it's just there's a lot more – there's a lot of legwork that you guys did with Tag Hub ahead of time to to help them out. And and I, I would say before things like Tag Hub, where you were just trying to get on, let's say, the Colorado Department of Wildlife website, 
I would say that's probably equal to getting a PhD to understanding the damn thing. It is hard to figure out all the info. And I, is Wyoming any better? A little bit better. <laughs> Colorado takes the cake for insanity as far as, you know, between their six seasons and their 280 deer units, you know, the, the amount of information that they sift around is is insane. We're talking hundreds of thousands of, of different draw odds and reports, pages and whatnot. It's crazy. And it's not necessarily Colorado's fault. It's kind of like the amount of SKUs that, that we have here at the office compared to a company that offers 10 items. We're more confusing. We offer way too much crap. When you're trying to decide what unit to put in, it can take guys a day just to figure out what they're doing. You know, over the counters, obviously easier to a certain degree to figure out what units what but if you start building points that's where it gets really really crazy and the otc guys even then i mean i don't know how many people go hunt the white river because that's what has the statistically the best unit to go hunt in the white river national forest but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be your highest percentage of of uh taking an animal that just means that might be where the largest herd is or whatever they're looking at to make these you know, decisions. And that's the beauty of, of what we've been able to do is we've actually made educated, educated mathematical equations based on our conversations with a combination of, you know, the biologists and then longstanding relationships with departments. It takes years to earn their trust for, um, be, for them understanding what we're trying to do. It's not a, we're trying to help hunters so they can apply in different states and have a good experience which in turn actually actually takes some pressure off them, if that makes sense, because there's when you're on the same page with them about objective and people understand what each state is trying to accomplish and you're educating people, it makes life better for everyone involved. And it's a kind of a cool process once you've actually once you've actually done it, it took me a couple of years inside Nevada to have some of those. Um, but now that I do, and then also talking with with hunters there who understand some of the logic and things they're trying to do. And that's not, that's not to say that I've never disagreed with any strategies on any States. Cause I definitely have. I mean, in fact, let's in the Colorado vein, I'm really wondering what they're doing, moving all these seasons back as far as trophy quality goes. Um, but getting to know those, know those strategies that they're going for, knowing the whys on why they do some of the things that they're doing and then being able to communicate that in the MRS format is actually a lot of fun. And then when you start talking with guys and, and they actually call you and ask for your advice, Hey, what did you see? You know, and it's the same. They, they want to, you know, they want to get the best that they can for, for points that they've been saving for a few years and things of that nature. And it's the, often the first conversation is a resetting of expectations. Once that happens, it's really cool to see them turn that into a, into a story later because you had that conversation with them. Right. What was the most difficult state to deal with? Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what everybody stay the fuck out of Colorado. That's what says, that's what Scott just said. I don't know if that's what you heard, uh, but Idaho and Wyoming are much, much, much better to go, to go hunt. I actually get constant grief. Cause anytime now on my, my live stories I do or whatever else, I always just say, go to Idaho to, to hunt elk. And you know, all joking aside, or at least some joking hunting is, I, I mean, I keep hearing hunting numbers are down. I'm just not, seeing that when I'm on the, in the woods. If hunting numbers are down, I don't know what algorithm they're using to figure that out, but it's certainly not the people, you know, the, the amount of people I'm seeing in the woods is, is not showing that. But the, obviously that's, you know, not just the Western states. I would, I would have to guess if, if numbers are down, maybe it's in whitetail hunting. It seems to be Western hunting numbers are, are up. Do you guys agree with that or disagree? Yeah, that's true. Most of the Western states, especially what I call the four core Western states that have most of the tags, that's Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado. Those four states have more elk tags than the whole rest of the country combined. Um, You know, that's where a bulk of the hunting is done out West, you know, number wise numbers. And those states are up, applications are up, but preference points have kind of fixed that. You know, these states aren't stupid. They knew that once they started the preference point system, people would be vested in that system and it would be hell or high water for people to let their points go. 
I'm talking, you know, the economy's crashing all around us and people are getting credit cards so they can keep their preference points going, you know. But most, you're right, most of that hunter decline is the whitetail people back east and California. California had, their their hunter numbers in the last 50 years have dropped down by more than half. Good Lord. There's just so many people in that state. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and it seems like about a third of them are here in this state now. You can't. Yeah, well, they've moved. <laughs> oh, well, you can't throw a hippie in Boulder without hitting a Subaru. It's it's crazy of the amount of, um, you know, we call it the Republic of Boulder, the non and anti hunters in, in, in the Boulder area. But you don't see that while you're hunting. When I say you don't see that, you don't see any, you know, lack of people. Um, last year we were. Oh, I don't know. You're several miles in. We were hunting mule deer and there was magically between Friday night and Saturday morning, two tents popped up in literally the best basin for mule deer. And, uh, they hiked in that far to see if they could see elk. And if they did, they were hiking back out to buy a tag. That's some commitment. I didn't see that 10 years ago. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, there was 13 hunters, some of them were mule deer, most of them were elk hunters, between six and 10 miles in to, to go kill an elk. And, and two of them hiked in just to see if there were elk there to see if it was worthwhile to go buy an out-of-state tag, an over-the-counter tag. Yeah, that, that shows me the numbers are not, uh, not down. And, and, I mean, you guys obviously, you know, you, you built the foundation we're all playing on for this. I mean, you ask your, your dad— do you think in, you know, 1970, if he backpacked in six miles, he'd see 13 people? Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> yeah, hunting. There's no Western state, any of them, that has seen more demo, demographic shift than Colorado, where you're at. That state has really changed in the last 20, 30 years, drastically. And I think there's a lot of newcomers to hunting that, are from other states, they're transplanted to Colorado, or they're new to hunting. They didn't grow up in it, you know, traditionally through through a family. Um, they just kind of came to it through a friend or whatever, or to put meat on their table or whatever, and just kind of got into it. And that has changed hunting in the West, I think, drastically, where guys are going to more harder core uh, means to uh, to hunt. But it's not like it was 25 years ago. You know, you never see, you probably see two people a year, a whole season in that basin, if you were lucky 30 years ago. Yeah, or unlucky. Yeah. And I don't know, you guys were probably hunting, but did you see my, my Insta story last year, uh, the day before season? I had, well, we know because it was killed, a 33 and a half inch wide, scored 198 buck a three by four beside him. I panned up in the spotter. There's some crazy chick doing yoga on a rock above him. There's 13 hikers coming above him. I pan over about 50 yards. There's another group of people uh, like holding hands and doing the splits and taking selfies all eight miles in, in one pan of one video in Colorado wilderness and these mule deer, now people start throwing rocks off and blew the mule deer out, but I, I would be hard-pressed to say the hiking or hunting was remotely close to this even 10 years ago. And you don't see that in other states that I've hunted like you do here. We'll be in the middle of, you know, off trails, you know, glassing sheep, and you'll have three dudes running by with camelbacks going peak to peak to peak, three miles off the trail while we're scouting, you know, sheep that are just doing it to sign a little bottle that says I was here on the top of a summit. It's, it's crazy here. Uh, it, I, and this is way off the subject of tag hub, but it, it is pretty amazing, uh, how much things have changed, especially in this state. You guys probably don't get that as much in Wyoming. <laughs> no, you need some grizzly bears down there, Aaron. That fixes that problem. You know, it's funny you bring that up because, I hear all <laughs> of this, true. the wolf stuff, and I'm like, well, what about, why does everybody pick on the grizzly? Oh, they eat people. Wolves don't. Um, everybody wants the wolves back, but nobody talks about bringing back the grizzly bear. They they have a right as well. Not that I want to see either of them back, but 
it, it is it is crazy that the people that you see and the conversations with you that you have with them and how many of them I've seen almost die because storms come in pretty hot and heavy late August where it'll snow and drop 30, 40 degrees uh, quickly. And here they are in tennis shoes with nothing but a water bottle and a smile uh, out there to see nature, which is great, not equipped at all to handle anything. And and you'll see 20 or 30 of them a day. Frank, in one area we scouted, was 13 miles in. As far as you could get in, 32 backpackers came in and camped around Frank. 32. And I'm like, wow, this has changed a lot. Yeah. And if you... You know, they're doing some studies. They've been doing studies in Colorado, and they're finding that a lot of wildlife, uh, these recreationalists, let's call them, that you're talking about, non-consumptive, you know, recreationalists that are, are not hunting, are having a really drastic impact on the wildlife in Colorado, they think. They did a study... I'm not going to mention the unit because I still hunt it exactly that recently. And, and they, they talked about, you know, the hunting pressure hasn't changed, but the calving, well, the mortality ratio because of hikers pushing elk all over the place from hiking in and putting stress on the herd was much, much greater because it was close to a, a very, a, a, not Denver, but close to a big city, a very fit city. And the moment the snow melts, they're in there all over Hell's Half Acre, and you know there there isn't that many. Even in the wilderness, a lot of those trails go right into, well, so what I call spring and summer. Those kind of mid patterns for spring and summer feeding, and hikers are all over, all over the place, just pushing elk all over. And it doesn't have anything to do with hunters. Hunters are not obtrusive. I mean, they want to actually take an animal, so they're being you know, as far away from, from, you know, the elk as they can be and get an eye on them. Um, and that, it doesn't get talked about as much as it probably should. Yeah. They have a, the study I read, there's a, uh, professor Colorado state there in Bull, uh, Fort Collins biology professor. And he got, he works with the state and he got the okay to do this, but they had a group of elk up there in a meadow, the calf out in a meadow. And I, there was like 70 cows or something like that. And he sent his kids up there, his in, little intern kids, to bump the elk every three days, every two or three days throughout the summer. And by the end of the summer, when they should be hitting maturity in the fall, uh, there were, I can't remember the exact stat yet. I'd have to look it up again. But I, I'm pretty sure it was close to 90% of the calves were had died. Oh, I, I believe it. And they I, didn't make it. Just by bumping them. Because you know how those elk are. They lay out in those meadows, those calves or cows and calves do, and those trails go right through the center of the meadow. So every morning, here come 10 o'clock, here comes a, a goose troop of people and bump them off there. Pretty soon those calves are, are losing weight. They're not getting you know, the nutrition they need. They're getting split up from the cows, on and on and on. And then, uh, you know, by winter, they're in bad shape. So we're seeing it here in western Wyoming by Jackson. They have a really remote sheep herd over there. And they've been studying the heck out of them because they think it's the purest sheep herd in in um, lower 48 in America because they've never been transplanted to or from by any other sheep herds. And the the herd is dropping in the last 10, 15 years, and they they couldn't figure out why. Couldn't figure out why until they started studying. Come to find out, it was the backcountry skiers. They think they go up there and hike up there to hit the hit the powder. You know, during the winter in those sheep, they winter up high. They don't come down. They winter on the windswept slopes. So, you know, it's, we get those inversions. It's 20 below down in the valley, and they hike up there, you know, when there's inversions going on and bump those sheep off their winter range. And pretty soon, you know, it's starting to kill them because, you know, in the dead of winter, they're getting bumped off those windswept slopes into the belly deep snow three times a week. Yeah. And a lot of that shed hunting their seasons and everything else, which I totally agree with, with all of that, um, whatever I call them participation trophies, but you don't, uh, you get all that pressure and it, it does the same thing, which is why there's restrictions on shed hunting. It, it hurts, uh, you know, the herd or whatever for the greater good. Well, then you bring hikers into the equation. They don't pay for any of this like we do. And it's funny when you bring, it up to a hiker if in a conversation, obviously where I'm at, I'm, I'm running into 
all walks of life here and you're like trying to explain to them the damage they're causing they're they're benign they don't they don't agree they don't think it's correct they have no idea they're like we didn't even hardly see any elk it's like well you just drove by 30 to your house on the way to evergreen how do you not see elk but they're not looking for them they're just out there to go hike around occasionally they'll see some but they don't understand like their scent will push them all of that stuff is you know, they're not hunters, so they don't understand. They certainly don't understand the damage they're doing, but you understand it as a hunter when you're above them with a spotting scope. And then all of a sudden you see, I mean, here you'll see 150, 200 elk in a herd and some of those, you know, feeding patterns and they just scatter and you can see the calves running in circles, nowhere, no idea where to go. And the next thing you know, they're pushing up a 12,000 foot, you know, a slope at 12,000 foot, just running the dog shit out of them because, you know, they're scared. They don't know what else to do, but obviously that's way off of what the original conversation was about with, with tag hub. And on that note, don't hunt Colorado. Uh, it Wyoming's better. You know, Aaron, it, it, and it didn't used to be that way. I mean, looping back around to 30 years, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, even 20 years ago, you know, there's a reason the hunting seasons were in the fall. It wasn't because the elk rut. It wasn't because that's when the horns were hard and the biggest. It's when, because that's when these animals, these wildlife populations, could handle and sustain being bumped around a little bit by hunters out there clamoring around, right? Because that's when these animals are the least susceptible to human activity. Because the calves and the fawns are pretty much full grown or close to it. You know, they're not, you know, nursing off their mothers anymore. Um, you know, they're not worn down from the winter. They're the fattest they're going to be going into the winter and on and on. But this all this recreation has changed that whole dynamic and that equation for a lot of these uh, game and fish agencies and these big game managers. And they're sitting there scratching their head, kind of puzzled, going, now what do we do? This is all public land. How, you know, how can we limit some of this activity? Because it's really having a dramatic effect on our wildlife resource. Oh, it, it definitely is. And, you know, Colorado is pretty smart on, on like some of the mountain goat uh, tags. They, they Some of the units you, you can't hunt during the weekend. You know, a lot of that I'm sure is for the the overall outlook or, or perception uh, from the public to the hunting community. Uh, it's just, you know, you shoot a white fluffy animal on the side of a shale slope and all of a sudden 30 hikers watch it roll down. They're, you know, bad outlook. So I, I get it. But, you know, I we're hiking down the trail. We got a goat in our pack and I've got hikers eating freaking jerky sticks telling me how wrong I am to shoot an animal. I'm like, well, what do you think that's made out of? That animal was alive, too. You know, I you just had a broker to kill it. But I mean... Same principle and trying to, I stay pretty calm if you can believe that anymore and try to, you know, paint the circle of life and, and Lion King it up. I'm like, Hey, look, you're eating meat. Like (laughs) something killed that. It just wasn't you and and try to put, put a paint a, a, a better picture, but you're looking at, you look at the top of Guanella pass on a Saturday in Colorado, there'll be 350 to 450 cars there hiking up these uh easier 14ers and i mean that can't be great on the environment overall and certainly not on the wildlife population and that's just one spot i mean that's mount evans is even worse and just because they all come out of denver and and head up there see i've never seen anything like it i climbed mount evans one time with my wife when i first met her she lived in denver and I, i have never in my life seen anything like that that trail is 15 feet wide all the way to the top far as the eye can see it's on the weekend it's hikers 20 feet apart all the way up that thing like some kind of migration out of uh, tibet or something it's crazy and most of those people would would think twice about stepping on a grasshopper and they are just absolutely piss pounding that country into the ground Oh, it's crazy. Well, last year we were packing a goat out and one of the hikers stopped me to, to let me know that she hated hunters because that we had shot uh, two goats in, in like June or July off of the one of the 14er trails. And I was like, ma'am, uh, do you really think a hunter was hiking up a trail and just for the hell of it blasted two 
mountain goats, two little mountain goats. I said, ma'am, more than most likely what happened is there was a, a, a couple or a couple guys that came that, that, that carried a pistol and they probably were eating Doritos and you fuckers feed them all the time because you don't know any better. And they came over to these two guys and were a little aggressive and wanted to eat some Doritos because people feed them chips all the time. They got freaked out and shot them. I'm like, ma'am, hunters don't do that. One, most hunters aren't climbing 14ers in general. Not, I'm not going to say none, but very low. Two, why does it have to be hunters? Are we the only ones that, that carry guns? But that perception, I'm like, any hunter I know that has a goat by is grabbing their cell phone and taking some photos and that's it. But if you don't know animals and you get scared, I can totally see just a, you know, a hiker blasting two mountain goats. And that was this huge deal and it got blamed on hunters. And that was in like June or July. Yeah. I think that's one of the problems with news media, not understanding a lot of things, but hunting included, you know, they, they, they constantly put hunters and poachers all in the same in the same category, you know what I mean? And, and the people who don't know different, like this lady, she doesn't know the difference. A hunter is a poacher, a poacher's a hunter. It's all the same to her. Oh, right. And, and this was a special case just for the simple fact that, you know, a lot of people that hike are concealed carry because they're worried about bears and whatever. And, and uh, you know, me, I don't want to pack the extra weight, so I don't carry anything. And, and so immediately... Somebody that's never had a hunting license, never hunted a day in their life, no idea, but has a pistol, they're all of a sudden a hunter because they chose to to shoot mountain goats. And again, here, you can see mountain goats getting fed by hikers constantly here um, on certain trails. And, you know, that's another thing that's not, that's not good. I mean, it's like feeding bears, um, you know, and, and what, you know, beside the road in, in Yellowstone, next thing you know, they're on top of your car. Um they get used to that food. And so you get a, a, a younger one that, that, uh, I mean, they can get aggressive. In fact, I mean, like right now, uh, did you see they're going to thin out the herd a bit on the Olympic national park for really? Goats? I didn't see that. Oh, I, I got I'm not going to lie. I signed up for one of those teams. Um, <laughs> they're going <laughs> to go in with, uh, you got to have a mountaineering guy and long range shooters and they're going to thin out the herd. Uh, hikers have been killed by goats there the last few years. So they're, 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 they're I'm not shitting you. It, it went out. You got to fill out a doctor's release and a bunch of questions, a big questionnaire. And you, you're going to, they're going to send them in with teams to thin out the herd on the Olympic national park. It sounds similar to what we have going on over by Jackson. Yeah. Same, same, same basic principle. And how big of a, uh, shit storm was that? That wasn't good. That was a mess. Talk about egg on their face the park service man i'll tell you don't get me started on them they're the worst neighbor in the world i mean we we live it here because we're right next to yellowstone park so we get to see it front row seat but i you know they they get so screwed up their bureaucracy allows the people to that work in there to have such goofy ideas on wildlife management they're kind of viewed as their own thing so they can basically manage their own wildlife as they see fit inside the park. But a lot of that wildlife drifts in and out of the park, which, you know, really gives the states a fit because the, the federal government sees things one way and the state wants to see things another. But, yeah, they they decided those uh, mountain goats weren't, uh, weren't native to the park and they wanted them dead. So they've sent up helicopters and started gunning them down and just leaving them lay to rot. And it created a giant shit storm oh i i can only imagine because i saw you know people bring up why didn't like rocky mountain goat alliance step in or why didn't you know whoever step in and as i understood it it wasn't like this it wasn't overly known until that happened um but i could be totally wrong it seemed like it was something that became a big deal after it happened and wasn't really brought to the public's eye before it happened am i am i wrong on that i don't i don't live up there so yeah they kind of they had been talking about what to do with these goats remember the sheep herd i was just talking about that the skiers are, are messing with this goat herd intermingles with these sheep and so their thought was well these goats aren't native because they modern day native i should say because they uh, idaho planted them on their border in their mountain range. And over time, they have drifted into the park. Um, and they've 
been there for 20 years, but they think that they might have brought diseases to the sheep, even though their studies now are showing that's not true. Um, the park wanted them out of there, and they're in a very remote part of the park where people can't even really see them. There's no, you know, very few trails in this area. It's really remote and rugged. But the park service, just someone in the park, you know, that goes like, we want these out of here. And they started kind of trying, they tried to keep it under, under uh, the wraps and it got out. And I guess the federal government, the department of interior, whoever, the big brass in Washington had to call them in the middle of their little gunning situation and said, shut it down. We're not shooting these goats. Pulled the plug on them after they killed half of them. Good Lord. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't sound uh good the other thing that pops up with stuff like that that's like the wolves coming in here uh to colorado because of rocky mountain national park you know i'm like well why don't you just close the park down um for a few days here and there you then you'll know what you're losing and then just sell the tags you'll know what you're gaining back send out the herd that way rather than dump some wolves in here and hope for the best um it it just doesn't seem Obviously, I oversimplified it, but I, I don't think that's a, that oversimplified. It's like, oh, there's too many elk. Let's dump muskies in our trout pond. Well, I, we're not going to gain any money from dumping wolves in. I can tell you that. Um, and, and, and with the long-term repercussions are unknown, where if you close the park down for a few days here and there and send hunters in, you, you know exactly what you're losing and what you're gaining back. Yeah, a wolf, trust me, we've, we've lived with those up here too. There's no off switch. Once you put them in there, they're like dumping mercury on the floor. They go everywhere, completely 0% controllable, and you can't turn them off. They'll, and you know, Rocky Mountain National Park is teeny. When you talk about national parks, I can't remember the exact statistic, but I think it's only a tenth the size of Yellowstone. I mean, it's, it's really small. And thanks to mining in the 1800s, Colorado just doesn't have the vast wilderness areas that wolves need for habitat you know you guys got all those mining towns all through that whole rocky mountain reach or the rocky mountain range down there and you know you're not you guys don't have huge vast wildernesses like wyoming idaho montana do for these wolves to operate in i mean they're going to eat the elk out of rocky mountain park in about 18 months and then they're going to be gone and you guys will be pulling your hair out as they go clear to Arizona and New Mexico. Yeah. And actually, uh, Rogan had mentioned to me recently, he, he had someone that was pro wolf coming on the podcast and, uh, he said, uh, do I have any, he wanted to have somebody on there to rebuttal. And I, and I mentioned you and your brother, uh, myself, uh, the Lancasters. And he was like, dude, I don't want anybody jumping across the table, smacking the shit out of this guy. You guys are too vested into it. And I'm like, well, yeah, but we got some hands-on knowledge too. Like it, it's very easy for someone to show up once every six months and look at it. But when you're living it every day, uh, you're, you're going to have a lot more Intel than someone that just occasionally peruses through. And I haven't seen, I mean, it's cool to see a wolf, but I mean, I haven't seen any uh, don't fix what's not broken. Colorado's doing fine. We don't, we don't need wolves here. Um, and I have hunters like, in fact, I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail from this. I have a lot of hunters that message me that think it's a good idea. And I'm like, uh, you know, they read some story about Yellowstone, how it actually helped the herd, you know, and, and it, and they did a study and it was actually the bears that were decreasing the elk population. I'm like, well, how, how the fuck does that work? magically when the wolves come in to play, the elk herd goes to shit and you blame it on bears. Yeah. Two plus two definitely equals seven. Makes sense to me. Like how the hell does that happen? But they believe that. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, I fight with it on a daily basis almost around here, but you know, we've seen what happens. I mean, it's the problem is there are, there is a place for wolves and it's mostly up North Alaska, Canada, we don't have the environments down here for wolves. They're not big enough. And everybody wants to take this back to the 1600s or 1400s, the wildlife populations, but that will never happen as long as we, A, humans are here, and B, you have 
uh, farming and ranching. So the wolves, even if they kill all the wildlife, still have a food source that will always be there. And that's, you know, sheep, cows, cattle. And so you, you can't take it back to the 1400s and see natural cycles of ebbs and flows in populations and wildlife because it's artificially through human, us being here as humans and ranching and farming, it's never going to be like that. And so, you know, them putting wolves in here, really, like my grandfather said, it's it's really a disservice to the wolves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely they are, is. They are. And they are machines. I have seen what they can do. I actually grew up with them. A lot of people will know this. My grandfather had two packs of wolves when I was a kid in a, a 10-acre compound behind the house there in Jackson. I used to help feed them and, and work with them. And they are machines, um, unlike any other predator you know, we have down here. So. Like I said, there's no off switch. Yeah, when I when I shot that one last year, um, man, we saw twenty three wolves that week, and I saw no deer and no moose. That's a bad sign, right? Like that's in the that's in the the wintering ground. So if I saw more wolves than sheep or than uh, mule, excuse me, sheep, um, mule deer and, and moose, yeah, there's probably a predator problem. And I, people, it's hard for them to grasp that. Like, once they get going, uh, like you said, there's they just eat until everything's gone, and then they move and find more things to eat. And keeping accountability and control of that is almost impossible. Well, it, it is impossible. Yes. Well, probably enough about that. Um, Scott, why don't you tell everybody where they can, um, you know, find you guys, which pretty much everybody knows that already, and a little bit more about Tag Hub where they can find it, does it cost, is it a free service, how all that works. All right, so you can find it at aghub.eastmans.com. Um, coolest thing we've got going right now at this moment, and we're giving it away on Father's Day, is we are giving away a Walther PPQ 45 pistol. That's our first gear giveaway. Um, but even cooler than that, we have an elk hunt that we are giving away for this fall in southern Colorado. And so if you've seen any of the giant bull elk with our EBJ hunt winner on Eastman's Hunting TV, um, you will get the opportunity to be drawn for that as well. We, with a subscription, you get a full year of the print magazine, access to the Tag Hub data, as well as a digital subscription, as well as Eastman's Hunting TV episodes, Beyond the Grid TV episodes, and Wingman episodes before they go out anywhere. So you won't some of EHTV episodes will air on Tag Hub before they actually air on the Outdoor Channel. And so it's our space, so we're using it to you know, share that with people, give people opportunity to see that. So if you don't have the Outdoor Channel, this is a place where you can see that hunting content. And we are going to be ramping up our giveaways all through the summer. Um, so, yeah, Aaron, you and I are going to be talking about that, by the way. Um, and so also... It is $99.99 right now. That is going to go away soon, and it's going to be a $149.99 price. So this early promotional price is, is a big deal, and that's where it's at. Now, did I forget anything that we're giving away with this guy? Nope. Well, and I, I can say this from my perspective for a guy that uh, literally hates more than uh, mayonnaise in one specific camo company. I hate getting on the Colorado Department of Wildlife website. The $99 is worth it for me for just Colorado alone because uh, I don't break my computer by throwing things at it. You guys have really simplified the the process. So, so something to think about. It, it it does make life a lot easier when you're trying to figure out what unit to go hunt. So, well, fellas, I appreciate you hopping on here. Hey, no problem. All right, you guys take it easy. We'll get back to you on soon. Thank you. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye.